Hello, welcome to the next in my series of studies in John's Gospel. I don't know how you feel about uh, introducing people to things. I think it's one of the great pleasures in life when you introduce somebody to perhaps a new hobby or a place or a piece of music and they go, ah, oh, that was great, thank you so much. I particularly like it if you can play somebody some music and they go, ah, oh, I didn't know that band, that's great. I really like the fact that people send me uh, music to listen to, uh, cartoons to get into. So sometimes people will say, have you seen this person's cartoons? And I'll start subscribing to their different cartoons. Those of you who know me know I love cartoons. Or maybe you uh, introduce someone to a hobby and uh, they start dancing because they've gone uh, dancing with you or you introduce them to walking and they start walking or perhaps you introduce them to football and their life is saved for thereafter. Whatever it is, there's something about the human spirit, the human condition, that we like to be able to bring to somebody's attention something new that becomes significant in their life, that becomes helpful. And we feel a sense of gratification, we feel a sense of worthwhileness in doing that. I guess God has made us in that way. That's part of the way we're shaped. So I want to try and come back to that as we look at the next part of John and just sense, if you like, the joy of being able to introduce people to Jesus, of being able to point to him, of being able to know people who say, thank you for the introduction you gave me to following Jesus. Well, we're going to come back to that. And to do that, I want to ask some questions that will help us reflect on that just a little bit. But we'll pick it up. We're in John chapter 8. We seem to have been in John chapter 8 for a long time. I didn't intend it to take us so long, but we were kind of truntering our way through verse by verse. The crowd are cross with Jesus, as is a big part of this part of John's gospel and um, he tells them that they're not true children of Abraham and that they would appear to be following uh, the devil because they are uh, lying about who Jesus is and uh, we've looked at this in our previous studies so please do pick them up and have a look at them if you want to know more of the context of this but anyway in John 46 uh, John 8, verse 46, he says, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I'm, if I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? And it's quite an important concept that Jesus is without sin. He says, look, I have done nothing wrong. And what does that mean that Jesus is without sin, that nobody could say he was a sinner? What does that mean? It means uh, a number of things, but let's just tease out a few things for a moment or two. It means that he had no selfish motives. He only wanted to serve and to offer himself as a sacrifice for mankind. There was nothing in it for himself. He was not guilty of sin. There was no pride. There was no self-agenda. There was no sense of him trying to collect and gather and hoard and accumulate stuff for himself. He was a person of generosity who gave and shared with others. There was no sense of hatred ever within him. There was just compassion and mercy and graciousness with people. He just was without sin. There was no turning a blind eye 
to things that were damaging or hurtful to other people. He always spoke up and spoke the truth and challenged things that were wrong. There were no lusts within him. There was nothing that was uncontrolled. There was no natural desire of his body that had become unrestrained. There was only love. So why is it important that we have a concept of Jesus being without sin? Why does that matter? Well, firstly, because it was believed then and believed now that only God is without sin. So him saying, look, I've done nothing wrong. I'm free from sin is him kind of hinting and again, irritating them more if they were with him or just causing their wonder if they were for him. He's saying, look, I'm actually God. There is without sin within me. And therefore, if he was without sin and if he was divine, he was worthy of worship. And importantly, theologically, as if he was without sin, then when he's dying on the cross, that's not what he deserved, but it can be the sacrifice for our sin because he takes the sin of humanity because there is no sin of his own as he's dying in place of us. And because of that, he is to be copied and obeyed. He's unique. He's incredible. He's wonderful. He's without sin. He's a glorious human being because he's God in human form. And he says, whoever belongs or is of God, some of the translation, the better translation is probably is of God, and most of your translations will say is of God. Whoever belongs or is of God to God, here's what God says. And he says, the reason you do not hear is that you do not belong or you are not of God. So I just want to take a little aside before we get to this, come back to this thing about pointing to Jesus. A little aside about belonging to God. Uh, Because one of the questions that some of us will have in our sort of anxiety about this is, uh, might I not belong to God? Is it down to God's choice or is it my choice? And if I don't belong to God, is that just God's decision to have rejected me? Well, we've talked about this before, and uh, you can look at this in some of our previous talks. But I want to say very clearly that belonging to God is both our choice and God's choice. Uh, He chooses us. He calls us. He wants every one of us to belong to him. He wants every one of us to be of him. He knocks on every heart. He invites every person to follow him. But it's contingent on us and requiring of us that we let him in, that we receive him, that we open the door, that we invite him in. Why does that matter? Well, it matters that we need to know that God wants us and that he gives us the right to be his children. Whoever believes in him, uh, John 1.12, has the right to be called children of God. Whoever believes belongs. He's calling all of us. But if we don't choose, if we don't choose to say yes, then we won't hear or understand what God is saying. And the Bible will become weird to us and inexplicable. And there are many we know and live amongst who say, I don't understand what the Bible is saying. I don't understand the words of Jesus. And it stems from a decision not to want to know God. And then everything else seems crazy. And he's saying to these people, unless you choose me and you choose to belong and you choose to be of me, 
then everything you hear won't make sense. Unless we choose to say yes, we do not hear God anymore and we are not in God and we do not belong. And the Jews answered him, John 8, 48, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon possessed? They give him two insults. It's their fear of what he's saying, the suggestion that they who thought they were close to God might have shut themselves off and closed their minds to God. They give him two insults, that he is a non-Jew, a foreigner, someone who believes the wrong things, and that he is demon-possessed. What they're really saying is that if we can identify you and label you as something bad, we don't need to listen to you. We don't need to take any notice of what you are saying. And so they insult him in their fear of what he's saying. Now it's interesting in his response, he says, I am not possessed by a demon. He doesn't reference the accusation that he's a Samaritan. In other words, I think he's saying that's not an insult. Don't use it that way to be of a different race or religion or understanding of God is not an insult. So he doesn't respond to that. He does say, look, you can't call me demon-possessed. He says, I am here to honour God and you are dishonouring me by calling me demon-possessed. What does he mean by honouring God? Honouring the Father. What does he mean? He means that he, in his whole life, if they analyze him, he will always speak well of the Father. You cannot call me demon-possessed because I speak well of the heavenly Father God. You cannot say that I am demon-possessed because I honor God by giving him credit. I credit the Father with what is good and right. I am not trying to diminish or take away or supplant, as, uh, uh, supplant the, uh, the work of the Father God. And he honors the Father God by listening to him. Now this is the mysteries of the Trinity where Jesus as God in human form is modeling to us how we relate to God in heaven. But he says, look, I honor him by speaking well of him. I honor him by giving him credit. I honor him by listening him. And I honor him by pleasing him, by doing what he wants. Remember how the father speaks in the moment of baptism. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. So the idea is that Jesus is saying, don't say that I am demonic because my life honors the Father God. And he then says it in a different way as a kind of repetition in the next verse, verse 50. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. In other words, I'm not trying to, to hear, to, to, to point everybody to me. I'm pointing to the Father. What is interesting is that the Father is pointing to me. The judge of all mankind is trying to glorify me, but I'm not glorifying myself. This is what Jesus is saying. So this is the wonderful interaction between Jesus, God in human form, and the Father, God, throughout the heavens and the universe, is that Jesus is pointing to the Father, and the Father is pointing to Jesus. And in that relationship, God is glorified. 
Jesus isn't saying, look at me. He's saying, look to the Father. The Father is saying, look at Jesus. What do we mean by giving, seeking glory? Well, it's the same kind of concept as honouring, and the words are often interplayed between each other, honour and glorify, honour and glorify. So glory is the splendour, the power and the majesty of God that creates admiration, praise and worship. So glorifying and honouring God are the same kinds of ideas. We are bringing to people's attention how great God is. And we are pointing to him and we are revealing his, uh, his, his beauty. And we are, and by our life, listening and honoring and giving credit to and seeking to please. Now, in Matthew, we have these phrase, this phrase, and it's a phrase that is inferred in other parts of the Gospels. Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as Jesus is saying, I do not dishonor God, but you are dishonoring me. I honor the Father. I want to invite us for the last part of this study just to think about how we might honor or glorify God rather than dishonor or, if you like, unglorify God. There are three ways in which we honor or glorify God. With our words, with our attitudes, and with our actions. And what are we talking about? We are talking about ensuring that our words or our attitudes or our actions uh, cause others to say, how great is God? That because of the way we speak, because of the way we instinctively respond to things, because of what we actually do, and all of those combined, not one or other, but all of those combined, people say, you know, I love God. I can see how great God is. I get a, 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 a flavor of God by watching how you do those things. And that's about pointing to God. That our lives say, here, look at who God is. Here, see what God is saying or doing. That people sense the love of God because of our love. That people uncover the wisdom of God because of our words. That people see the nature of God because of our attitudes. And I want to choose just some examples of what that practically looks like. To honor and glorify. That no one or never would Jesus be able to say, you dishonor me that he'd be able to say, Donald or whoever we are, you have honoured me with your life. And I want to suggest, I think there are seven of them, uh, things, and then I'm going to give us some, a reflection on these seven things. Words, attitudes, actions that cause people to say, God is great, that glorify and honour God. The first is infectious gratitude. That our lives, our words, our attitudes are instinctively and naturally giving thanks to God and recognizing his blessing and his goodness. And that's infectious. 
and it glorifies God. Whereas if our lives are naturally complaining, naturally grumpy, naturally critical, naturally cynical, we dishonor God. On top of infectious gratitude, I want to suggest that if we have an unshakable hope that creates peace, in times of suffering and difficulty, our hope is placed on Jesus and his future resurrection of us and the future life where every tear and every uh, sadness is removed. If we have an unshakable belief in heaven and eternal life, and that much of John is about this looking forward to what is to come, and that that enables us to have a peace in the current storms, in the current sufferings, in the current injustices, because our hope is in Jesus and what he will do, then we glorify God because they see that we trust him for what he has in store for us. Whereas if our hope is in money or skills or strength or some illusion of avoiding suffering, then we find that that doesn't weather the storm and we do not have peace and we do not glorify God. Thirdly, I want to suggest that unwavering honesty honors God. When we are known to be people of truth, when our words are reliable and our voice is courageous, when we have unfailing compassion, gentleness, and kindness, we honor God because he is gracious and kind and gentle and good. And aggression or manipulating or bullying or coercing or intimidating is not the way of Jesus. If you look at the fruit of the Spirit, the characteristics of God's Holy Spirit that is to be generated within us, how often are those words about expressions of love? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. When we live those lives of patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, we point people to God and we say, this is what God is intending for humanity. This is his desire for us. There is an unfailing compassion and gentleness and kindness. When we allow bullying, when we allow a, 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 a critical, harsh manner, we dishonor God. When we live with exceptional generosity, that seeks to give and give and give again. One thing you lack, Jesus says to some of the folks who wanted to follow him, one thing you lack, go and give everything away and give to the poor. When we are known to be people of generosity, we honor God. Consistent grace and mercy 
honors God, glorifies God, makes people say how great God is, that his people, the people who claim to know him and follow him, are people of graciousness, of compassion, who are the friend of sinners, who seek to restore, redeem, transform, and rebuild lives rather than condemn and judge and exclude and throw stones. When we are people who live out the biblical wisdom of another world that is counter-cultural rather than seeking to be ones who just follow the, the crowd and the conventional thinking of today, but we choose God's wisdom, we glorify him. And lastly, when we are known to be and seen to be people who have a transparent walk with God, it's evident that we are seeking in prayer and relationship with God to follow the prompts of his spirit. We honor him. We glorify. We point to him such that people say, I want to know your God. I love your God because of how I see you. That's a great thing. It's lovely when somebody chooses to like football simply because I do. It's great when people get into a band because I've suggested that to them. It's lovely when people get into cartoons because I've pointed them out. It's brilliant that people want to go and explore the coast because I've told them how good it is. I love all of those things. But in comparison to somebody saying, I want to know God because of how you've lived your life, it's tiny. I want to honor Jesus. I want to hear him say when I meet with him in eternity, You've honoured me with your life. You have glorified me with your deeds. So in conclusion, I just want to lead us through a reflection. Picking up these ideas and asking ourselves some tricky questions. You may want to pause. You may want to write these down. You may want to use these as a time uh, to pray over for a few minutes after this is over. Maybe write something down. Firstly, are we thankful or does our grumbling dishonor God? I am convinced that gratitude opens heaven and complaining pushes us away and more tragically pushes other people away. And if we're honest with ourselves, is our reputation gratitude or grumbling? Criticism or thankfulness? Secondly, is our hope placed in the right things or does our misplaced hope dishonor God? Is our hope placed in what is unseen, what is to come, what God is preparing for us is our hope placed in a time when Jesus will return and restore all that was meant to be good? Or is our hope placed in money or our career or our ability to solve things or some delusional idea that God can make everything perfect today? rather than in the future when we meet with him? Is our hope placed in the right place or is it an illusion? 
Time and again, we find that disillusionment happens when we start with an illusion. Our hope is in the wrong thing. Hope needs to be in Jesus and his resurrection, his overcoming of death and his eternal life and kingdom which he is bringing in. Are we 100% truthful? Or are there times when we exaggerate and that dishonors God? Or are there times when we pass on unverified news? Things that we think or hope are right that we don't know to be true. Are we pointing to God or pointing to conspiracy theories? Are we kind or does our impatience dishonor God? Are we generous or does our self-preservation and hoarding dishonor God? Are we merciful or does our judgmentalism dishonor God? Are we clearly the people who are demonstrating the friendship of Jesus to transform, change, restore, redirect sinners? Or are we living a life that's trying to push people away from God because they're not good enough? To glorify the saving, saving God, to glorify the Savior, to glorify the God who's come to seek and to save the lost, to glorify the God who's taken on human form, born in a stable as a helpless babe in order to re win and redeem mankind, to glorify that God, we have to draw alongside the broken, the damaged, the sinful, the difficult, our enemies to love as Jesus commands us to love our enemies. Are we following God's wisdom or does our compliance with the crowd's thinking dishonor God? Do we go along with whatever the latest social media hysteria is about? Or are we seeking to step back and allow scripture to direct us? Are we trying to fit in with what the world thinks is today's wisdom? Or can we glorify God by pointing to values that will go in and out of fashion but remain eternal? The value of kindness the value of simplicity, the value of rest, the value of forgiveness, the value of self-control, the value of caring for the weak. Are we following God's wisdom or does our compliance with the crowd's thinking dishonor God?
And lastly, does everyone know we love and serve Jesus? Or does our secrecy dishonor God? In other words, all of these things are pointless if people don't know that the, the transformation within us, the power to be truthful or kind or generous comes from the filling of, of our lives with God's Holy Spirit. It comes from our commitment and our devotion to Jesus. It comes from our desire to be a disciple. If they don't know that, if they don't know that we go to church, if they don't know that we pray, if they don't know that we take the scripture as our authority, if they don't know what is the very foundational core to our being, then we dishonor God. Everybody who knows me knows which football team I support. Cambridge United. Everybody who knows me should know that I love Jesus. And if I don't, if they don't, I dishonor him. Are we thankful or does our grumbling dishonor God? Is our hope placed in the right things or does our misplaced hope dishonor God? Are we 100% truthful or does our exaggeration or passing on unverified news dishonor God? Are we kind or does our impatience dishonor God? Are we generous or does our self-preservation dishonor God? Are we merciful or does our judgmentalism dishonor God? Are we following God's wisdom or does our compliance with the crowd's thinking dishonor God? Does everyone know we love and serve Jesus? Or does our secrecy dishonor God? He is without sin and he asks us to make that known. Let's pray. Lord, we offer ourselves to you. We want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want our lives to point to you. We want people to love you because of the way we've lived our lives. We want to make a difference, Lord. Help us in all these areas we've reflected on. Forgive us when we get it wrong, when we dishonor. Pour in your grace, your cleansing, and your power to be different, we ask. We offer ourselves now. Fill us with your spirit that we may be what you intended us to be. For your glory we pray. Amen.